Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today is abundance teacher and money coach, Jody Lynn Creighton. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. Okay, everybody. It's story time because we have a wonderful storyteller joining us today. She's a children's author, and uh, her latest book, Hard Camp, is a great indication of the kind of work that she does. But uh, we're going to get to know a little more about her in just a moment. But first, Jody Lynn, I, I was kind of overhearing the conversation that you and Steph were having before we got started there. Do I gather that you're actually not completely freezing to death there in Alberta Not right now? completely. No, it's a, it, I mean, it's cold, but mild for February. Wow. Mild <laughs> yeah. Canada, mild. Those aren't words you have in the same sentence very often where weather well, is concerned. I think it really comes down to perspective because as I was telling Steph, she was thinking that is not mild. This is true. Yes. What are you used to? That makes a big difference. It does make yeah. a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, anyway, I'm glad that it's, it's milder than usual. It means you can, you can actually go outside occasionally. I mean, compared to thought. Yes. Yeah. Very, very occasionally. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> with many layers. <laughs> with many layers. Yes. That's the secret living with the cold layering covers almost any scenario. Yeah. Good stuff. So anyway, Steph Katsovi is a children's author and she's joining us today to, uh, well, to just talk about all the kinds of things we like to talk about, but, uh, Steph, you, you mentioned that you listened to some episodes, so you know, we usually start by finding out more about the guest. So the spotlight is now on you. Tell us about Steph. Ah, well, there's so many ways I could answer the question, but I think I'll go with a little bit about me that I'm a writer, a mother of two school age boys and a wife to a very extroverted husband. Uh, he's the <laughs> polar opposite of me. As the introverted, naturally quiet and reserved writer, it's funny that I found someone that's just, you know, can walk into a room and be quite comfortable talking to anyone. Me, it takes a little while to warm up, but uh, I'd like to think that I have a good sense of humor. And I'll note, uh, although no, I'm not resting on my laurels, but in eighth and 12th grade, I was voted both class clown and best sense of humor. Ooh. Um, oh. Yes. So that kind of fueled me through college and law school. Uh, but I think uh, after law school, I spent the bulk of my career as a professional writer. I worked in corporate communications for many years. And now I consider myself incredibly fortunate to have the opportunity to live uh, my childhood dream of being an author while also raising my children. That's wow. terrific. I like that. I, I have to admit, I'm also a little surprised. I don't think I've ever heard of an introverted cat class clown before. Well, that's the weird thing, you know. Um, I'm sorry, I thought I turned the phone off. It's live, live uh, work for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it takes me a while to warm up, but when I do, I guess I, I don't turn off. So. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because the class, as I remember anyway from school, the class clown was the one who was always looking for attention. And that's not really what an introvert normally does. So that's why it's so interesting. No, I, I think I was more of like I was um, – a, a punctuation mark. Like I was providing that added okay. layer of, of something, you know, if something was funny, I was going to find a way to draw that out. So I was, I sort of like a, a background player that would pop in and out so or you I provide... to a very small school. I don't know. Well, possibly <laughs> both, but, but you provide the rim shot is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. Exactly. You yeah. got it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Jody Lynn, were you ever a class clown? Were you ever like, you know, that kind of person in class? 
Uh, no, I mean, yes and no, sort of. I'm all, I'm also introverted, but I think that once you crack me open, you can't shut me up. I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah. And I think I was always by default, the quieter one, because my brother was the class clown and uh-huh. literally a rodeo clown, um, from like eight until 20 something. So he got that role pretty easily. And I mm. was in his shadow in that way. I'm not as funny as he is. <laughs> well, since we have a panel of introverts here, because I was definitely an introvert when I was growing up, I will, I will say this. I think that the reason introverts want to talk is that we have a whole lot more to say. Mm-hmm. I think you're that, right. That, that's I just had. my bias, but it's I think that's true. Just, yeah. But you know, if you take like the class clown, best sense of humor angle, you have to know the right time and place to say it. Um, yes. And I think being the introvert, you're, you're aware and you've got a lot of that sensitivity to reading the room. I live in a house with three extroverts. Um, my kids and I all fight to see who can talk the most, I think. And you know, <laughs> I usually am the loser, never a sore loser. I love hearing from them, but you know, I think the, the key with them is that they haven't yet realized, like, when should they not be talking? Whether it's, you know, <laughs> At school, I have, you know, it's the feedback is that they're great kids, but love to talk. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, they got that from my husband because I knew exactly how to, you know, give that, that funny rim shot, but do it at just the right moment. So I never got in trouble. I was a very, you know, studious child. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. Well, I'll, I'll also say there's something in favor of, of the extrovert here because the extrovert is basically in school when they're school age. They are trying to do the kind of growing that I think all kids really need to do. Yeah, it doesn't really fit in nicely with what the teacher has in mind. But quite honestly, I think there's more to be more value to be gained from the socializing than there is from what the teacher is teaching. I mean, that's my prejudice, perhaps. Um, and you can tell I don't really have a, a really high uh, belief factor in, in public education. But, uh, yeah, I, there's so much more to be gained because that's where, among other things, that's where kids are gaining their self-confidence, their self-esteem. That's through, true. Through, through those social interactions. It's it's just it's vitally important. So, mm-hmm. anyway, and if that's, that's the advice. biggest problem I have with my kids at school, I guess, you know, that's a pretty good problem to have. Yeah, that's not they much like of a problem. They like to talk and they participate, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's actually harder to deal with the introvert who's really severely introverted because you're constantly trying to draw them out of their shell. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's so many people that become writers, I think, because it's the best Probably. way to express yourself. And you could do it really quietly behind, you know, a desk or that's a computer. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, nobody oversees the writer, right? <laughs> That's true. Like, my kids wonder what I do all day. It was when my book came out that they're finally like, oh, mommy has a talent. <laughs> she doesn't just, you know, make sure things get done around the house and make sure we get to places and do all the other millions of things that parents juggle. So yeah, that was very rewarding for me. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> so, so where do you get your inspirations from when you're writing your books? Um, well, I think I take a lot of it from my own childhood because, you know, as the saying goes, you have to write what you know, but my kids, I have uh, two boys, one's 12 and one's 10. And so they're at just the age for the kids that I write about. And I find that, you know, again, being a good listener, they're like a gold mine of stories. And, you know, I look at everything in life with a sense of humor. So to see, you know, what they're going through and what the spin is on how I could make it relatable, but funny 
it really is like I have one book that I am finishing up the edits on. I have ideas for a third book. And like if they continue to be who they are, I could have, you know, an indefinite number of books to write about. But, you know, it's really amazing just what sort of comedic gold they share without even realizing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. True comedy, really good comedy seems ordinary and every day. Yeah, I think that's, you know, like the show Seinfeld, it was so popular because these things, you don't appreciate the humor of it until someone takes the time to point it out in a much more clever way than, you know, you probably digested it initially. Right. uh, I can aspire to be at that level of of, uh, comedic humor, but (laughs) something to work for and work towards. Well, if if you're already successful as a children's book author you've achieved it to a certain degree so pat yourself on the back for the for the achievement because mm-hmm. that's not easy that's not easy to do no i i think for me the hardest part when i left my job in corporate america was you know i looked at the the walls of where i was working and nobody was waiting for this book that i was writing and it was it was a little bit scary frankly because you go from a world of deadlines and you need to get things done to a world where you have endless amounts of time and the schedule is yours to make or break. And, you know, for me, I'm a very disciplined person. So ultimately I figured out my footing, but I can imagine just having that sense of what can I do now? Oh, there's a closet to clean or some laundry to do. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it's easy to get distracted. So, you know, for me, I was really dedicated to finishing what I'd started. and, And so I'm glad that I did. And I'm glad that I'm able to move on to a second book and hopefully more. Yeah. So what made you go from, you were in corporate America, were you a lawyer? I never practiced law. I I was one of those people that went to law school and decided pretty early on that the practicing attorney role was not for me. Uh, I don't know if my parents were disappointed or at least (laughs) appreciated that I knew what I didn't want to do in life and hoped that I would figure out what I did want to do. But writing has always been a passion of mine and it's always been something that, you know, that's where I find my fulfillment is writing. For uh, about 15 or so years, it was writing corporate communications, which, you know, not as fun in the sense <laughs> yeah. of it's not fully creative. You do have ways to be creative, but you get a, a good paycheck, you get health care. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of benefits to that. Plus, I think I got the experience of working in a professional environment where you know, now I, I live in my world of creativity, but having had that structure and discipline, I think that was really, really important for me just to get my own fundamental experience as what being a writer could end up being. Um, but the reason that I left ultimately was that the partner I was working for was a very senior executive at a company called Deloitte. And he was going to retire after many, many years in the business, and he was quite a revered partner. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to have to work for somebody else. And I just spent all these years supporting this partner and I'm going to have to prove myself again. And I'm going to have to work all these crazy hours. And that doesn't seem as appealing as maybe, you know, following my childhood dream of being a writer. And (laughs) at the time, my kids were really young. So I thought, you know, this could be a great time for me to retire. And so I did. And, you know, I just I'm so fortunate that I have this opportunity because I realized that you know, while there isn't a paycheck that comes in the mail or direct deposit, like I, I'm seeing rewards in many other areas. And it's just, you know, very gratifying to, to be around my kids and to do what I love and hopefully have influence on others as well. And, you know, I get to meet interesting people like you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Jody Lynn, I want to ask you something. We talk a lot about all kinds of stuff, uh, but usually there's some sort of a theme about the you know, law of attraction or self-development mm-hmm. or something along that line, trying to solve uh, personal problems. And very often in those conversations, we talk about the stories that we tell to ourselves and to, that, that we tell to others. But of course, the kind of stories we're talking about aren't really the same thing as you know a children's story or a novel or something like that. And yet, and this is what I want to ask you about, and yet there are definite overlaps between them. I mean, the, the kinds of stories we talk about are basically more like, you know, here's the way I tend to talk to myself or here's how I tend to talk to others. But I've often felt that if we could learn how to be better storytellers in the sense of a novelist or a children's book teller or something like that, we'd actually tell better stories to ourselves. I'm wondering, where, where do you sit on that one? What do you think? Yeah, 100%, because I, um, I think a good storyteller can see the entirety of the picture. And I don't know if you'd agree with me on that, Steph, but you can see the the beginning. You can see how the characters are developing and, and what they're thinking and why they're thinking that and their specific position or perception of the entire scenario. And you also see all the other characters too. And I think that's the brilliance of of telling a story is that you get in depth with all of those the, all of those people that are included and see the entirety of the picture. And I think that's what gets lost when we're telling our story to ourself. Like you were talking about, Walt, is we get stuck in the perception of what we see and forget that we're not the only player in this entire story mm. and we're not looking at the entirety of the picture. And when you take that giant step back, you see, oh, Okay, this can be funny. This this can be thought of a different way. And there's so many more possibilities that exist within that context or that storyline altogether because you're looking at it as a whole rather than that one single frame. Yeah, great point. I love that. The the, the greater perspective that you get from telling it as a true story. So let's go back to Steph then because she's our resident story expert for the day. So let's say you were talking to an audience of people who were doing self-development work. They were, they were trying to do self-improvement and they wanted to learn how to tell better stories within that context. What would you teach them? Well, I think that's a, that's a really tough question. I think the first thing that comes to mind though is to be almost in a way brutally honest with yourself. And Mm -hmm. the nice thing about being a writer is you can write everything on paper, but you don't necessarily have to share it until you're ready. Mm. And for me, uh, the book that I wrote about was uh, about a little girl going to sleepaway camp for the first time and hating it because she was horribly homesick. And Mm -hmm. she then finds the inner courage to power through her, her feelings and ultimately have a fantastic time at camp. And I think back to my motivation for writing this book and lo and behold, it, it's a semi true story. Uh, my real life story was far less dramatic and had much slower plot, but in my book, um, and in real life, I was very, very homesick going away to camp. And so this process was really about self exploration in a lot of ways for me because I thought about, well, if I could go back in time and rewrite history, how would I do it? And you know, that's an interesting approach I think I would take if I were in your hypothetical seminar, I would say, Let, let's go back in time. And, you know, how would you rewrite history? And how would you approach it if you could do it all over again? And, you know, in real life, you don't often get second chances. But I think as you look into your yourself and you reflect on the past, it's really more about planning for the future and how can you avoid repeating 
the same path that you took that maybe you weren't so happy with how it came out. And, you know, it's an interesting process to go through. I think for me as a writer, that's sort of what I do as I write books, you know, and, and put things out in the world of, of, you know, how would I want to present it differently if I could? And maybe there are things that I'd actually want to continue doing the same way because it was a success. So it's an interesting uh, experience just to be a writer and, and reflect on the life and the world as you're processing it, sometimes real time and sometimes retrospectively. Yeah. Do you find that as you wrote that book, um, if you would have had, I guess, that specific perspective shift, whatever the little girl's shift is, that you may have had more of an experience like hers, like uh, all the good stuff that came out of it? Absolutely. I, I remember, and I think I was about 10 or 11 when I went to camp for the first and last time. <laughs> um, I remember I came home from camp and I was really upset with myself um, because I wasted all this time at camp when, you know, if only I had been a little bit more courageous in and feeling confident that I could be independent. And I think that was really the struggle I was going through was how could I go away to camp and leave my parents and miss them and knowing that I'm missing them am I being, you know, a bad, not a bad person, but am I doing wrong by missing them and having fun at camp? So mm -hmm. it was a really interesting challenge. And ultimately I, I sided with, I won't betray my parents. I'll continue to miss them the whole time. Uh, and so I was miserable. And I, and when I came home, I was like, yeah, I shouldn't have been so miserable. I should have tried harder to make friends and get, in, get involved in the activities more and maybe, you know, not been so sad. Mm -hmm. And so that for me was, that was a turning point in my introvert, actually, in my introverted mm -hmm. uh, lifestyle where, where I could coast because I was living in a house where, you know, I was comfortable. I went to a school where people have known me for years. And so that really was sort of the impetus for me to say, you got to push yourself. You've got to be more extroverted in situations where you're not comfortable. And I think for me, overcoming some of that shyness was finding my voice as somebody who could be humorous and funny and relatable because I can say things in a funny way that people were maybe not expecting or in a way that people thought about but didn't necessarily process that way. So it was a terrible but amazing experience for me. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful lesson too. Sorry. Well, nope. um, you know, that lesson rings for uh, like rings true for a lot of different things. Just the feeling bad of like, I'm missing my parents and I, that means that I can't have fun. I literally just had this conversation this morning. One of my best friends, her daughter's husband passed away at a very young age. And, you know, it's been a few years since that happened. And she's finally, the daughter is finally feeling better as it approaches his birthday and feeling guilty for feeling mm -hmm. okay. And, and now she's upset with herself that, you know, she's, she's feeling better in life and able to move through these days, but is beating herself up over it. So I think that's a, a beautiful lesson and a beautiful lesson to learn at such a young age about just shifting that perspective and giving yourself that space to, to, to feel good about where you are and that it's not like betraying right. your, your family, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm sure, and I know for a fact that they wanted me to have fun. So it was, it was a really big, misperception on my part that mm. you can't do both because you actually can. And, and I think, you know, that uh, illusion that you've just shared is, is like interesting that it's such a parallel as you get older. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Jody Lynn, did you notice that when she was 
giving her answer at our hypothetical seminar uh, for people who were trying to learn how to tell better stories, that she was almost perfectly expressing a technique a process that actually gets used by coaches, like, you know, go back and rewrite your history. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's like right out of coaching. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, one of was, the things that I worked on when I was in corporate communications was uh, training, corporate trainings, because I was writing some of them. Maybe I absorbed something that I was helping on, but mm, yeah, I'm excited to hear that maybe I, I touched on something that's actually um, what people use in, in real life. <laughs> it's effective too. It's very effective because when you, when you can go through that exercise of, of, rewriting history in your mind the way you wish it had played out and in a sense leaving behind what needs to be left behind and replacing it with what puts you in a better space it's a powerful process it's very powerful because first of all you're you're retraining your brain second of all you're also retraining your attitude and you're doing both simultaneously that that that's a combination that's a combination that will accomplish a lot so you you hit on something really good there maybe everybody should be a writer then <laughs> I think well, that, they should. Yeah. I mean, I, there there is a true power in writing. That that's a, yeah. undeniable. But yeah, it's literally spelling. Like you're casting spells mm. with what you're putting out there into the world. Um, and I think that we should be more mindful of how we're writing the story, or how, like that brutal honesty piece that you brought up er mm. earlier. That yeah. that's something that's missing a lot. I think when people are often struggling, it's because they're stuck and they're not willing to be brutally honest with themselves on all of these levels and see the story in a different way. And it is, I mean, as, as I think about my writing process, like when you put something on a page, it might not be the way you want to say it ultimately, but you just put it out there. You can take mm -hmm. it back though. That's the nice thing about, you know, when you're doing the drafting process uh, I do a lot of blogs these days, and it's funny. I was reading a blog to my mom because she's my number one fan. Uh, I know my husband and she and my kids might compete, but she's probably, you know, between us, she's probably my number one fan because she's a really good listener. And she said to me, Steph, are you sure you want to put all that personal stuff out there? And I said, well, number one, it's not that personal. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit private and protective of specific areas of my life. But on the other hand, I was like, but that's sort of how we all connect is by sharing common experiences. And for me, I like to do it in a funny way. So maybe this is an even better way to connect because it makes me more approachable. Um, and she's like, okay, I mean, you do what you want. <laughs> and she was like, okay, that's, that's your thing. But I was like, maybe she has a point. And on the other hand, you know, I do think that a lot of the relationships you develop in life are through that common bond, the commonality that you find in experience or in perspective. And, you know, I think a lot about what I want to achieve by writing. And I think that that's probably one of the key drivers and, and to do it for children where they're so impressionable, you know, I don't have the skill to be a teacher, I don't think. And there are a lot of other areas that I probably don't have the skill set for, but writing I think is something I hope I do because I love it so much and I'm so passionate about it. And, you know, I think of a quote from uh, Mahatma Gandhi that says, in a gentle way, you can shake the world. And so this was kind of my view on how can I shake the world and, and improve it and make it better. And hopefully I'm succeeding. It's all work in process, though. I'll beg to differ on one point. I think you actually are a teacher. In fact, in order to be a children's book author, you have to be a really good teacher. Because what, teaching isn't knowing a subject and, and, and explaining the subject. 
teaching is diving into a collection of stories and finding the right one to explain something to somebody who's trying to learn. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what you do. So give yourself some credit. You're actually a pretty darn good teacher. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> My mom happens to be a retired teacher. I know I'm talking about her a lot today, but I did recently just talk to her. So I guess she's still on my mind, but, yeah. but it is an amazing thing to be um, a true teacher uh, in, yeah. in such an important role in our mm-hmm. society. Although Walt, you alluded to not being a fan of it, of uh, public education. So. Well, just, just because I don't like the way it's structured. I, I uh, I'm, I'm totally in favor of education. I just think that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for one person pe- to be deciding for a, a bunch of other people what they need to learn. No, that's a fair point. I think, I, you know. I, I don't think it makes any sense at all, but that's just, that's just my, my little thing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why it's good to have libraries where you have a lot of yeah. different perspectives that you can choose from. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there's my plug for librarians. Yeah. <laughs> And today we have all kinds of libraries available to us, libraries that didn't even exist 30 years ago. It's just, wow. It is incredible (laughs) how much information is out there. And, uh, you know, with a little digging, you can find a a whole lot. Mm -hmm. You also have to learn to be um, a little skeptical, too, because you have to take whatever you find with a grain of salt and say, okay, well... That's interesting. Now, how true is it? <laughs> That's true. That's true. My kids, uh, my one of my sons came home from school and told me this very wildly overestimated statistic about something. I said, "Are you sure? Seventy-five, mm. you know, percent of all of the people in the world are this?" And he's like, "That's what somebody said in a report at school." And I said, "That's an area where I think you can do some fact checking and maybe look at mm. a couple of other sources." And he said, mm, "Okay." Um, but you said it. <laughs> said, well, let's do a quick Google search. And then we did. And I was like, see, there's no information that supports what your friend said as much as I like him. And I know he's a smart kid. It's just that he didn't do all the work maybe. And uh, hopefully he got a good grade on whatever assignment it was. But I'm sure the teacher hearing that 75% was like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like the 80-20 rule that it uh... 80% of, uh, or 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I, I've never been able to find anyone who could actually document a study demonstrating the 80-20 rule. But That's everybody true. uses it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've never looked for it, actually. That, I know, have. A whole, you know, spectrum of things that we take as solid gold because you right? know, the teacher said, or this yeah. person said that we really believe or have a lot of trust in. And you know, that's the 80, 20 rule. I've heard that lots. Yeah. Uh, I have quoted it before. I have mm-hmm. never looked for factual information <laughs> that backs that up. <laughs> what I've come to realize is that the 80, 20 rule is in a sense, is kind of like the law of attraction. It's not an actual scientific law. But it is a, a kind of a metaphorical way of describing how things work. So the 80-20 rule is, is a metaphorical way. It's not necessarily a numerical way, but it's a metaphorical way of describing how things tend to work out. And, and taken in that context, I think it makes total sense. But it just goes to show you got to be a little skeptical. You got to take a little skepticism to everything. But it mm-hmm. sounds like it's true. See, that's the other thing. Like something Doesn't that it? sounds like definitely off. You could say, yeah, I'm going to question that. But. Mm-hmm. The eighty twenty rule sounds like yeah that sounds right no I'm going to agree with that one I'm not going to mm-hmm. do any more research on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think it's an example of resonance. When something resonates with us, we don't really question it very much. We say yeah I, I'm because I trust what I'm feeling inside about it, 
And that's ultimately, true. that's one of the things we talk about here a lot, learning to trust that inner voice. Because mm-hmm. we, we've had many different um, uh, influences, teachers, and, and you know, adults and, and you know, famous people who, who in the past have taught us, you know, don't trust that inner voice. It's, you know, that's the devil. That's you know, all this horrible stuff. And we're now in an age when people are learning to trust that inner voice and they're finding it's actually pretty darn true. It actually really is trustworthy. So mm-hmm. I think that's part of what happens here. The 80-20 rule resonates with us, and, and we know that to the extent that it resonates, that for us it is true. It's got to be true mm-hmm. because we're learning to trust ourselves. Yeah, I think just to, to take on the inner voice comment, it's interesting because I think a lot about my career path and you know becoming a writer after working in a corporate environment. That was a really big step for me um, mm-hmm. to go – and just say, you're, you're going to be fine. You're going to be good enough as a writer. You're going to be okay. And I still, you know, struggle with, did I make the right choice? It, should I have listened to my inner voice that said, go follow your passion, you know, do something that makes you really happy and feel fulfilled. And trusting in myself, I think, may have been the scariest thing I've ever done sure. professionally. Uh, because you don't know, like, there's no law that says inner voice is correct. You're definitely on the right track. There's, you know, there's no safety net when you say, I'm going to trust that, you know, I'll be okay. Um, but unfortunately, you know, that that's not true. But on the other hand, the power of positive thinking, really, mm-hmm. I think, you know, not having any background in, in the, the science behind it, I really think, though, it really can propel you to, what it is you want to achieve if you're willing to put in the work and take those necessary steps to put yourself on the path to where you want to go. Yeah. And that is actually something that science is starting to embrace because we have the positive psychology movement that has emerged from the field of psychology over the last 30 years or so. And they are finding that positive thinking really does have very measurable positive results when you engage in it. So the, the the distance between metaphor and fact is shrinking. <laughs> well, I know, like, when I get a cold, I hate being sick. And so I tell myself, I am not sick. I don't mm. care that I have a lot of tissues next to me. I'm not sick. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to power through. And I find that, like, miraculously, uh, almost every situation, I've gotten healthier faster because yeah. I used to acknowledge that I was sick. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's it's it's science or I just drink a lot of water and make sure that I have a lot of vitamin C, but <laughs> I'm going with both. power of positive thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could be both too. <laughs> Probably a little of everything and also time, which you yeah. know, naturally with, with some common cold, they just need to work their course. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll even throw out something uh, a little controversial. I'll make the suggestion that science is still relatively um, young and is growing to the point, and I think we're, we're kind of in the transition period now, it's growing to the point where we're going to be less dependent upon placebo-controlled double-blind studies and more oriented toward the idea that it is scientific if it is also tied into internal resonance. Now, right now, that doesn't play in the world of science, but I think we're moving there. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the boundary is it's kind of blurring in a sense over time. It's going to be interesting to see exactly how it blurs, but I I think that's where it's going. Well, I think just tying it into the 
different avenues you can get for information. It's almost as if whatever you want science to say, you can find a way to say. Well, there's that too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just look at like, I look at the fact that people will often talk about scientific proof, you know, because they're trying to, you know, they're trying to make a point. They're trying to demonstrate something and show that, you know, be, be right about something or whatever. When in fact, science does not engage in proof at all. But look how much we have now gotten to the point where people just basically believe that scientific proof exists. Mm-hmm. But I think when you say science, you often are like, must be true. Must so be true. 80, 80 20 yeah. rule, science said it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> there was a scientist somewhere that said it, so it's true. That's right. Yeah, it's like the, the, when you say people say or they say, you have to really take a second and say, well, who's, who's they? Who, who are who they? Who are these people? We Where ask are that question all the time. You know, who, who are they? They, these magical they. <laughs> Why are they hiding behind that curtain? Come out from behind yeah. the curtain. <laughs> Tell me who you are. <laughs> oh, so true. All right. So we, we've been exploring stories from a few different angles. Let's go from a, a slightly different angle. You, you're a children's storyteller. But stories are really for everybody. I mean, I guess you could say in one sense, we're all children at heart. So that's one way of expressing that we all love stories. But but hey, let's be honest. We all love stories at every age. So, I mean, well, I I guess this goes two possible different directions the way I'm thinking about it. First, have you ever thought about expanding beyond the children's genre? And secondly, do you find yourself uh, in any way kind of transitioning what you do in the children's genre to just interaction with adults, adults in your everyday life? Um, I think I'll, I'll tackle the, have I transitioned to other uh, genres? And I, I think ultimately I'm, I'm going to grow up with myself in my writing. I think sometimes, you know, I'm sort of stuck right now focusing on children because I think that's really where my heart is. And, Mm. you know, I've got my, my kids that are that age and I want to populate the world with as much content as I can and have a positive influence on as many people as I can while I still have that snapshot into their lives and that perspective on Mm. what they're seeing and what they're feeling. But, you know, I think, after a while, I'll exhaust sort of the areas that I feel like I need to cover, you know, the demons that I need to work through from my own childhood and the lessons that I want to teach them. And and I absolutely, you know, I think back to when I was a kid and what I was writing about, you know, in my journal. And it was terrible, first of all. I looked back at <laughs> some of the stuff and I said, not only do I have bad handwriting, but the, the content is terrible. But... <laughs> You know, you sort of, you you kind of evolve as a person. Sure. So, you know, I have to think that, you know, writing's my passion. I'm not going to give that up. And my interests will vary and change. And I think over time, you know, who knows where we'll all expand to. And, you know, I think part of the fun of being a writer is just seeing where my brain is leading me and what, what, what messages I want to say. And, you know, I, I wish I could see into the future because I'd love to know, you know, how successful will I be in, in either selling books or having an impact on people or, you know, just finding new paths that make people laugh. I think wherever I can do that, I absolutely would love to plug in. Uh, if there were a roadmap, I would be very happy to follow it. Because <laughs> I'm one of those people that will plot things out. But that's that's one of the scary things about living this sort of creative life too, is that there's, there's no roadmap and it's Mm. really wherever your creativity and your brain and your experiences can take you. But, Mm. you know, I'm, I'm happy to follow wherever they go. So we'll see. But, um, 
yeah, I, I my husband likes to joke and he said, you're going to have an empire of a huge body of work. And I said, let's hope so. That sounds great. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That so, sounds great. So we'll see. But uh I'm just really enjoying the process of, you know, uncovering the gems from my past and my children's present and, it's it's just a really fun experience and you know honestly the self-exploration component has been incredible just to sort mm. of process what i've experienced and view it from a different lens and see how i can share my learnings with people that maybe haven't experienced the same thing or are about to experience it and to do so in a way that helps them with whatever challenges they're about to face it's like wow this is this is something that's a really powerful role that I never envisioned I would be playing, but you know, here I am. And it's, it's really very, very gratifying. Well, I'll tell you when I asked my question, I was actually thinking about Joe Rowling. Ah. Of the Harry Potter series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when you mentioned plotting out, uh, you know, a, a whole series like that, I thought, well, that's exactly what she did. <laughs> she plotted out an entire seven book series. <laughs> So you're kind of right in alignment with that. But the other thing that the reason I was thinking about her was uh, the the books were written for kids starting mm-hmm. age around, you know, 11, 12, something like that. And yet they play so well with adults. I mean, right. I, I, I mean, I was long past being a kid when the books came out and I devoured them because mm-hmm. they were so enjoyable and, and interesting and, and you know, they just drew you right in and like, oh, you got to know what's going to happen next with the characters and blah, blah, blah. And, and so I guess that's my way of saying there's a blurred line there. It's not Joe Rawlings books aren't just children's books anymore. They, they no, expanded into, into the broader literature. You know, there's a saying that books can be mirrors where you see yourself reflected back or they can be windows where you're exposed to a world that's not your own. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, the Harry Potter series is a great example. Like, it's fantastical, yet the human element is something that's just so appealing to people of every age. And, you know, the, the process of using narrative to communicate is age old and has one of the most impact, impactful ways of you know, sharing stories, communicating emotions. Uh, it's, you know, something that I rely upon because, you know, how else are you going to share what you want to say other than in a very interesting, captivating story? You know, I, I think back to lectures that I've been in in college and in law school and the professors droning on about something. Um, and the one, the one thing that I found law school to be most fascinating uh, was when there was a case that was a really interesting story. And I discovered, uh-huh. like, that's what I liked about law school, where all these really interesting stories, not about what the actual law was, but, you mm-hmm. know, the story <laughs> behind what the law was. And and so I guess I've been chasing after that and everything I do is like, where's a good story? Where's that story that really pulls you in? And, you know, I I, I aspire to be able to do that with my work as well. And if I so, can have the success of J.K. Rowling, I would not. Yeah, <laughs> sure. The most successful children's book author of all time. Yeah, that's a good yeah, one to aspire yeah. to. Yeah, that sounds that sounds okay to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Done. <laughs> all right, sign me up. Where where can I where can I get that on paper? <laughs> yeah. I, I think back to who was the the previous. Um, crown holder before Rowling came along. And I think it was probably Beatrix Potter mm. um, because she was just so successful with her Peter Rabbit series and, and the other uh, children's books that she wrote. 
and and for her time she was way ahead of all of her peers and Joe Rowling comes along and and Beatrix Potter almost disappears in the dust by comparison so you know we're ta- we're talking about big leaps being taken here so mm-hmm. I, that that gives you an idea of of you know what your target is you you want to overtake Joe you really got to overtake her yeah. I mean because because think- you identified really well what she did she took this fantastical uh, imaginary world of enchantment and magic mm-hmm. and made it human. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I don't care what the genre is. I don't care what the storyline is. If you can make the storyline feel like real human beings behaving within whatever the constructs of that world is, you're going to make it. You're going to, you're going to connect with the reader in a way that, that few are able to do. So I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you talked about that and, and the fact that you like that connection so much. I mean, p- people give uh, Joe Rawling so much of uh, appreciation and recognition for, well, she knows her Latin because oh, she was able to turn that into all the spells and mm-hmm. she knows, you know, the, the history of, of uh, famous uh, stories and so forth. And she's able to tie all that in. But I don't think any of that holds a candle to what you said. I agree completely. It's about her ability to turn it into a real human story where you identify with Harry, you identify with Hermione, you identify with Ron, you identify with, with Draco, you identify with all those characters. They feel real. They feel three-dimensional. And they happen to be playing in a world of magic. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, think about some great American authors like Beverly Cleary or Judy Bloom, who mm-hmm. were huge writing influences for me. But the thing that made them so special was they took these ordinary characters and, you know, they made them relatable, quirky. They said things yeah. that you maybe wanted to say but didn't feel comfortable doing. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's how you really pull people in is that these characters, they have a life that you can identify with. And I think as, as somebody that aspires to do that in my own work, you know, the more you can connect with people through those characters that are memorable, that are lovable, that sometimes maybe not so lovable. <laughs> I mean, you have that in your everyday existence. You right. come across people, you know, whether it's at work, at home, at school, at the supermarket, that, you know, every personality type that you can find has probably been written about in literature somewhere. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare probably did it already and then everybody's improved upon it or right, right. <laughs> whatever yeah. great writer you like. Yeah. He kind of set the standard, but it, but it's true. And, and I think the other thing that makes somebody like a Rowling so effective is not only does she show all the cool and quirky and fun sides, she also has a great ability to show the vulnerable side of a character. That, that's, yeah. the, that, that to me is the hardest part. How do you make somebody feel so real that they're at, you can actually sense where they're vulnerable. You can sense, you know, this is where they're struggling in their own journeys in life. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's what separates the great writers from the good writers, I think. Yeah. And, you know, going back to our discussion about being brutally honest, you know, I think about in my work, the main character is, is definitely a better version of me as a child and, and probably uh, as an adult as well. Mm. But, you know, I spent a lot of time, in my earlier drafts of my book, trying to refine the character, trying to make her, you know, this perfect humorous and like sharp, like, you know, snappy dialogue, all the TV shows that fit into 22 minutes. Like I wanted that to be my main character. And then I realized like at draft seven or eight, that she's not going to be perfect and I should just relax and Mm. and be okay with her vulnerabilities. And, And the fact that, you know, I try and write about characters that aren't perfect makes them even more genuine, I think. Right. And, and that makes a person relatable. It makes them likable. You like 
being honest with your readers and saying, you know what, the world's not perfect. People aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. Here's a here's an example of somebody that falls into that category as well. And, you know, I bet you see a little bit of yourself, maybe a lot of yourself in that person. Mm-hmm. So, Jody Lynn, as we're listening to this, I mean, you always process everything that we talk about on, on many, many layers, many levels. <laughs> and I'm wondering if one of those levels is your coaching practice. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I love that we're talking about stories and perspective and, you know, the vulnerability piece. I think uh, the story being captivating when you can feel that vulnerability is an important key to a good story. And I think what's so captivating about it is that you watch them go through it with maybe perhaps more or less grace, but differently than what you would have. And the outcome is good. And it kind of inspires you to to take on a a different perspective of things. Like it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay not to Mm. be perfect. Like they're even this person right here in this beautiful book that they're talking about, she's not perfect. So it it allows you to, to start being more of yourself. And I think there's, there's magic in sharing that vulnerability with, with the world, whether it's through a story or, or just like this. So, so if, if you're working with a client, and mm-hmm. you, know, you recently had this conversation with us here and, and we're influenced by it. Do you tie it back to what you're doing with the client? Are you trying to find some way to use a story approach to help them become more vulnerable or something? Oh. I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of. Oh, I, stories, stories are my life. It's so interesting because as you were speaking, Steph, I was thinking about a, a conversation my dad had actually with my brother. And uh, so my brother has a daughter and she's 11 years old. And, you know, my brother and I, my family, we appreciate the family values that, you know, my dad and my, my mom instilled in us, you know, work hard and be a good person and all of these things that we feel like we learned from our parents. And so my brother was having these in-depth conversations with my dad about how do I teach that to, to my daughter? Like, how do I, how do I get that message across? And he kept saying, you know, that it, he, he can't like, he, he just, he, she needs to spend more time with you, dad. And, and so me and my dad are having this conversation about this secondary conversation my brother is having with him. And, and he said, you know, it's really interesting because Cody says, I don't have any stories. Like you have all of the good stories. And I looked at my dad and I said, it's because you live your life with those values. So your entire life is a story of those values. So you draw upon that. You draw upon the things that have happened in your life that encompass that value that you're trying to put on display within that story. And then people get it. They connect with it. And that's something I'm really good at doing and bring into all aspects of my, my coaching practice with abundance is it's all about stories because in someone else's story, we can see how we fit in and how another possibility exists. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. But yeah, that's where they exist is in another story. Well, that is what coaching is about. Coaching is helping somebody find the new possibilities and decide to go after them instead of sitting there and just kind of twiddling their thumbs and getting, you know, all safe and comfortable in their little comfort zone. (laughs) Yeah. And I think too, that we think that nobody has ever been through what we've been through. Mm. You know, no one's ever had it like me. You don't get it. And sure, I do not get it because I have never stood in your specific shoes. I am not you and I can't fully get your perspective. And 
I have been in different shoes. So I resonate with certain things and I have stories and, and I find when I tell the stories of the darkest times in my life and moving through that and seeing the hope on the other side or seeing the magic on the other side or just the other perspective and it's simply how it all worked out for the better. That gives people hope of like, oh, okay, well, that seems to be, you know, worse, better, whatever in context to me of what I've experienced. And if they can experience hope through that, or if they can get to the other side, then I can too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is very similar to the actual telling of the story. I mean, that's step when you're leading a, uh, a protagonist through a storyline, that's what you're trying to do. Right. And, you know, going back to that inner voice, like listening to the inner voice and at least in writing, you could, give the direction to where you want that inner voice to point you. And in mm-hmm. real life, you know, hearing other people's stories and hearing their challenges, their experiences, you can relate, you can empathize. And, you know, that's, I think where I found in my own experience where I can push through to get to where I want to be or where I should be or where I hope to be. So is it fair to say that writing is among other things self-development for you without question yes (laughs) (laughs) it's the best way for me you know to work through what i'm feeling my emotions and you know I'm, i'm a very introverted person as we've talked about and so to do it quietly and do my own self analysis and you know be honest with myself in the comforts of my mind is a safe place for me to sort of work through a lot of things. Like I talk to friends, I talk to family, but you know, at the end of the day, when, you know, you're sitting in the bed or lying in the bed and reflecting on things that have happened and what went well, maybe what didn't go as, as you planned, like, it's really just you, like there's nobody else that can really see inside yourself and make a change. And so for, for me, writing is the way that I can sort of organize and assess and then, you know, share if I'm ready uh, with the world, that final product or almost final product of of what I'd like the world to see. Mm -hmm. I think that's so beautiful. And my dad has always said to me, you know, you come into this world on your own and you leave on your own. So you need to learn how to be your best friend. And that's something that I've incorporated not only into my life, but into coaching practices. And that sounds exactly like what you're doing is sitting down with yourself as a friend, Mm -hmm. you know, and what's going on and how do you feel? And and the detachment from having to just tell the story perfectly out loud so that someone doesn't judge you isn't Mm -hmm. there. Even like the creativity that I see from like you just simply being a writing, there's no real attachment to, you know, I have to go this direction as I unwind the story or what it meant or how it felt or whatever. You can be creative with that too. And it feels so much more freeing. Like you literally have a blank page and you can put it down and you can erase some or cross them out and change it as much and as frequently, I guess, as you want to. Mm -hmm. There's power in that. Yeah. And, you know, life, you don't always have the final draft, you know, when you approach an issue and same with writing, you you can refine it if you're lucky. Um, But the more that I, you know, for me, I find the more that I can think about and process and plan, 
just some of those big overarching themes of things that you experience in life over and over again. I, I find I'm better able to respond and react the way that my true inner self would want me to, my best friend would, versus that, you know, reaction of no, yes, or, you know, I'm afraid this is scary. Yeah. Uh, it's not easy though, but, you know, the more that you, you do that work on your own, I think the better the outcome is when you may not have that final draft, you know, to mm-hmm. play with. Yeah. Uh, you got me thinking back to, I, I wrote a book, I wrote a, a fiction book, uh, back 2008, 2009, and, and I'm thinking about what that process was like. One of the things that comes to my mind is, um, I don't know what your process is for, for writing. For me, I, I was, I was trying to make a, a series of points that I wanted to do it within the context of a fictional story. But then as I started piecing together the fictional story, it got to the point. Well, first I struggled for a bit trying to figure out what my plot line was, but mm-hmm. once I had mapped it out enough, it, it kind of took over my awareness to the point where I couldn't get the story out fast enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, do, do you experience that? Yes, I am, I would say, an obsessive outliner. And (laughs) I start with, you know, those little kernels of things that I was like, oh, this will be good. This will be good. This is a character I want. This is a theme that I want. And then I keep adding to this. It's almost like a snowflake. I think there's actually a snowflake method of outlining, which I followed, where you just keep building and building and building and building. And then almost, you know, miraculously, you've got 10 pages of different, versions of what you want to write about with all the details that you just pull from. Mm -hmm. And I tried it on the the draft that I'm working on uh, for my second book. And it's funny, it took me, I would say, one childhood and six years to write my first book. And I think it took like six weeks or so to write a first draft of my second book. So as I think about my process, it was because, first of all, I, I had a good idea of what I wanted to write. But also, I just relaxed. And I said, just go with whatever you think will work. And if it doesn't work, you take it out. And I found that with planning ahead, I was kind of like, oh, this actually did work. It weaves the plot together just the way I, I was hoping. And it was a, a much more uh, pleasant process, I think, also because I wasn't so worried about, you know, what are people going to say about this book? Mm. I'm finally putting something out in the world. Well, for me, I've already put something out in the world, so they can say what they'd like, hopefully good things. Uh, and for this book that I'm almost wrapping up, it was such a, a more relaxing and freeing process because I'd, I'd done some of that homework of thinking about all the different elements that I knew I would need to include that maybe I wasn't aware of as I was writing my first book. So, you know, it gets easier and, and it, you know, in a way harder because I want to do an even better job than I did the first time. So sure. um, nothing like putting a little pressure on myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, authors are good at that. Authors yeah. are really putting pressure on themselves. Yeah. <laughs> it comes with the territory. I yes, think. I think so. <laughs> Why make it easy? <laughs> Why make it easy? Oh yeah. Let's make life as difficult as possible. <laughs> but this has been a lot of fun talking about yeah. this. Um, now, I presume the, the the book that's already out, that one is called, what's, what is it? Hurricane, like a hurricane, hurricane. at a camp. Like a hurricane. Okay, got it. Hurricane. Camp. All right. And I presume that's available everywhere, right? Basically, yes. Uh, yeah. Just You can probably put it into any uh, search term and it'll come up on all the different online retailers, big names and small ones. And 
you can also go to my website, uh, www.stephkatsobi.com, and you can find it there. But in this day of information, it's, you know, overflowing out of computers. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> ah, so true. <laughs> and do you have a, a projected release date for the second book? Uh, I want to say I'd like to finish it first and then see what happens. But I'm hoping within the next, I'd say, comfortably, uh, the next 8 to 12 months, hopefully. Okay. We'll, well see. It's, it's, I'll it's follow way too up early. with you. <laughs> it's way too early, but is there a working title? Uh, the working title is Miss Communicamp. So I'm going on a camp theme, uh, putting the, you know two two words together. This one's about a miscommunication between two best friends. Again, like a theme that yeah. I'm sure echoes hallways of schools hourly, if not by the minute. And right. adults, coffee shops, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. Yeah, family gatherings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, any place where people come together. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's nice to have a skill. Yeah. <laughs> It'll always be relevant. <laughs> it will. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I think well, so. Well, definitely we've enjoyed that and we'll make sure that we'll include a link to um the website as well so that make it really easy for people uh, to find Thank her camp. Thank you very much. This was, this was a really fun time. Thank you so much for the opportunity and it was really a great pleasure to speak with you. One thing that I do want to do before we part company is something that I make a regular practice of because you, like so many different people, are, are a giver. And you give and give and give. You you write. You appear on podcasts. You have your blog. You're always putting stuff out to help people and, and, and keep giving. And there are many people you'll never meet, you'll never see, who have benefited from that. And you never meet them. You never see them. That's the whole point. <laughs> but I think we deserve recognition for that. So on behalf of all those people you'll never meet, that you'll never see, that you've helped through your writing, uh, people of all ages, I just want to thank you for what you've been doing and for what you're continuing to do. Well, thank you for that really lovely sentiment. And, you know, I hope that for all those people that I don't meet, that you know that I appreciate you noticing me. Yeah, that's part of the reason for being an author, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) But quietly, I'm not looking for attention. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that, that's right. Well, it's the quiet form of attention. That's what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's going back to class found best sense of humor with a shy person. Yeah. yeah. Bringing go. it all back to the, the first few minutes of our conversation. Like, I'm yeah. not looking for attention except for when I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. So, so, so Jody Lynn, that applies to you too, right? You're not yeah. looking for attention except when you are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Except okay. for when I want it. <laughs> it's almost like we need to have a sign or something. Okay, attention over here. <laughs> Look at me. Stop looking. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're going to make a sign. That's it. <laughs> Stop looking. <laughs> I would love that. I'd buy a t-shirt and a sign. If you know, you're selling yeah. anything, I'll, I'll put my order in now. <laughs> we have a new merch line. What do you think? Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> This is a whole new industry spawned from our conversation today. That's impressive. Wow. It's amazing what happens on this show. All right. Well, thank you, Steph, very much. We really appreciate your visit today. And Jody Lynn, as usual, thank you for all your insights. Love what you had to say as well. Thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. We will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.